beginning a series in Genesis. Genesis, over the next four months or so, we're going to be in uh, Genesis 1 uh, through 4. And I just realized, Larry, I I think after the prayer, I didn't want the uh, heater to make noise during the prayer time, uh, but I didn't turn it back on. Uh, And Larry knows how to do that. So I don't know if you noticed, it's chilly outside, so we want the heater to be on and to work. Um, So creation series, that's what we're doing. Uh, Genesis 1 to 4 over the next four months or so. And and as you hear that we're going to do this series on creation, I'm sure that for each of you, you have certain questions that that come into your uh, minds. And and you maybe think, well, we'll get some answers to some particular questions that you have. Uh, Some of you might be familiar with an organization called uh, Answers in Genesis. Uh, I'm not sure that I would agree with all of their answers. Um, But we might title our series here might be better Mysteries in Genesis. Or even uh, Unanswered Questions in Genesis. And, uh, it, but, but I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek because there, uh, there are questions that aren't necessarily helpful, uh, and, and there's a lot of conversation that can be had, right? And so I do invite, if you have questions that I don't address uh, on, a, on a Sunday in a particular passage, I'd be happy to talk uh, with you, uh, recognizing that there's a lot of, I don't have all the answers, right? But we'd be happy to talk about those things. But there are things, I think, that are really actually very foundational uh, that we can learn and that we, we can engage with uh, here in these chapters. And, and, and in fact, some would argue that all of the main themes of all of Scripture begin here. And we certainly see that some of the significant themes of Scripture that flow all through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, 22, where we were last week with our sermon, right? We've done a significant rewind, that many of these themes continue. So just uh, heaven and earth, which we talked about last week there at the end. God and creation and good and evil and work and relationships and marriage and uh, the spiritual and the material there are all kinds of themes that begin here. There's, there's a foundation here that really should inform the way that we understand all of the world. And particularly as followers of Jesus and those gathered at, as, as his church, this is opportunity just to ask, what are these things that are being taught to us and how can we learn about what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus? This morning, our, most of our focus is going to be in chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Most of our focus is going to be on that, but we'll, we'll get into verse two a little bit and, uh, and with obviously the reference to Romans chapter one. And we're going to find that there is an invitation here to wonder. And wonder as in not to uh, ponder, but to, to marvel, to stand in awe of. Uh, an invitation to wonder, an invitation to, to the uh, to reality and to his story, an invitation to his story, the reality of what he's created, and then an invitation into relationship. And I, I think we see all of those things here. We'll also look at some other verses as this is a, a theme, again, that goes all throughout Scripture. Let me pray for us. Lord, I do ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word, that we would actually wonder, marvel, stand in awe of who you are and what you've done. And that we might be transformed by the truth of who you are and what you have done. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So the first uh, thing that we find here in just these few words is this invitation to wonder, to marvel, to stand in awe of God. And and think about all the things that are being communicated here. And there's a a vastness, a mystery, a a bigness. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a word that would do justice to what is being communicated here. All of the cosmos being created by God. And, and th- this is very, very significant. There's an immensity to what is being communicated here that can be really, that we just can barely begin to get our imaginations around. And I hope that we're able to do that a little bit as we dive in here. But we find that God created the heavens and the earth. God made the heavens and the earth. And, and we, we find that We're going to get to, in a few weeks, the fact that we are, as human beings, every human being is created in the image of God, and that there's a sense in which we are creators created in his image. But our creation is different. We take what he made, and we create with it. So if we build a house, we we use wood and nails and maybe steel and all kinds of different materials. We take what's already there, and we make something out of it. You're a painter. You use paint and canvas and brushes, and you create Sculptors or craftsmen that were using something that already exists. But the picture here is that God in the beginning takes what didn't exist and he wills it into being. The, the language that is used here is ex nihilo. Uh, that's theologians use the, the Latin phrase because it feels fancy, right? But it's from nothing, uh, of nothing. This, this idea that God created from nothing. And, and this idea is picked up on in Hebrews 11 verse 3, where we see that what is seen is not made from what is visible. And then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, they are worshiping, the heavenly hosts are worshiping God, and they say that by your will, creation existed. That he willed the very existence of things, period, into being, into existence. And what is it that he willed into being? What is it that he created here? It is the heavens and the earth. And the heavens and the earth is this, uh, this phrase, we talked about it last week, we were in Revelation 21, and the, the same phrase happens there, is that heavens and the earth are being recreated and restored and, and made right, the, the way that it's been broken. We'll get to the fall in Genesis 3, but uh, we, we find that it begins here, the heavens and the earth, and it does come together. There's something that we can learn from both heavens and earth uh, as singular words, but the heavens and the earth is essentially the cosmos because they didn't the, there was not a hebrew word that meant cosmos it is all that existed so the, the earth is that world in which we live and we can taste and touch and smell and experience with our senses uh this this world but the heavens gets it a, a little bit of the connection between the physical and the spiritual because heaven as we talked about last week refers to, at different times, the sky or the firmament or the stars, like space. Uh, but it, it also refers to where God is. And, and in that lack of clarity sometimes, uh, Eugene Peterson argues that we, we get uh, more comprehension because there is a picture of the spiritual and the physical coming together. And they're both being really significant. And so this picture of God creating the heavens and the earth is all of it. All of it was created by him, the whole of the cosmos. And this is huge, right? If, we're, if we are aware of the cosmos, so you, you know, we, we think about the way that we might stand in awe of just a majestic mountain scene. 
And we find that Romans 1 tells us that that creation speaks to who God is and reveals even some of his character, his divine nature, and his eternal power. But we we see that with all of creation, right? There's a a video that I would encourage you to to look up on the YouTubes. Universe size comparison, or cosmic eye is is, uh, what it's referred to. That's what you would uh, Google. But it's this really fascinating video. Uh, It's it's worth the few minutes that it takes to, uh, to watch it. It starts with this picture of a, a face and it begins to zoom out it just zooms out further and further it starts with the face and it labels everything as it goes and it tells how wide that thing is and so it starts with the face and then it zooms out and it's louise i guess that's her name uh louise and then it is she's in this park and it's the google campus and then you zoom out further and further it's san francisco and then california and the western u.s and the u.s and the globe and then i'm going to read something because i'm not going to remember all the things it's the earth it's the lunar orbit. It's the inner planets. And by the time you've gotten to this point, you can't see Louise, right? You can't see her face. You can't see much by this point of the things that were earlier on. Then from the inner planets, and I'm not an astronomer, but I did guess what was coming next. It's the outer planets. And then the Kuiper belt, dwarf planets, the inner Oort cloud, and then the outer Oort cloud, neighboring stars. And by this time, you're 10 light years in width. Local interstellar cloud, local bubble, spiral arms, 100,000 light years apart. The Milky Way, and I don't know if you've ever been out on a really clear night and been able to see the Milky Way just with your naked eye. It's amazing. And then what you can see with the Hubble telescope and all those things, it is, uh, it's awe-inspiring. And, and then after the galaxy neighborhood, which is a million light years apart, then there's like four more things. And finally, the uniform universe, 10 billion light years wide. It's, it's really difficult to even begin to comprehend how big it is, right? But then it goes, it zooms back in and it gets to her, her face and then it zooms into her eye and it goes in further, the eye and the pupil and the retina, which are one millimeter in width, and then blood vessels and blood cells and chromosomes, 10 nanometers wide, group of atoms, atoms, inner electrons, atomic emptiness, atomic nucleus, protons, neutons, and finally quarks, which are, as we all know, one femtometer wide. It, it is, it is a, it's, it's crazy, uh, the intricacy of creation. And, and what we find here in Genesis, sometimes uh, Christians feel afraid of the vastness of the universe, or the bigness of this world in which we live, uh, and those things that we can only begin to gather with our imagination. And what we find here is an invitation to stand in awe of the one who created every single bit of it. And as we get into the following weeks, ordered it and made it as it is. But what we find here is this communication that he created it, every single bit of it. And not only those things that can be measured in whether it's by astronomers, and our resident astronomer is out of town this week, but if you want to learn more about finding awe in God's creation as a scientist, maybe even particularly an astronomer, and how it points to following Jesus and affects following Jesus, I encourage you to talk to Bruce Rivnack, who would love to talk about those things with you. And they'll be back next week uh, after their time in Florida. But uh, it, it, this, is, this is, should blow our minds 
at the creator God who made these things. And it's, but it's not only those things that we can measure, it's those things that we know and experience that, that are spiritual or even emotional or even the experience of beauty or the experience of spiritual life and reality that very clearly exist and are illuminated all throughout scripture and which sometimes are very mysterious and we don't have a full grasp on. But the picture is that God created every bit of it, including our soul, which is eternal. All of it was made by him. It is beyond our imagination, God's immensity. And he cares about every bit of it, the material and the spiritual. There there is something to be gathered here that the material world matters deeply and he cares deeply about the material world. There is not this sacred, secular, spiritual, physical divide with God who created all of it. He created all of it. He reigns and rules over all of it and all of it matters. And we see that play out again throughout scripture, this picture that the creation itself, so even the salvation story is not just about my personal relationship. It's about all of creation. So Romans 8, which many would say is the, the Bible, the book in the Bible that is the closest thing to a systematic theology in the Bible. And it talks about in Romans 8, the creation being subject to corruption. And so it groans to be remade. It groans for that uh, being made right for salvation. That's pictured in what we talked about last week with the new heavens and the new earth. That all of it remade, made right. It is mind-blowing. Step into the, uh, to the mystery a little bit more and to the, the wonder a little bit more with just those first words, in the beginning. And there's a picture here of God existing before the beginning of this world. He's not bound by time. And then he creates time itself. The time itself is defined by him. And we, we, we can only begin to have our imaginations engaged as we think about that idea. What, what does it mean to stand outside of time? What does it mean that he was there in the beginning? We, we, we might watch a, or read a book about time travel and it messes with our heads, right? If you've tried to watch and understand Christopher Nolan's movie, Tenet, it, it, it will, you, yeah, you can't, right? Or even just back to the future and, okay, uh, looking at the photograph and uh, the effects of, events in the, that if you go to the past that might have, like it's it just all of it's like what, what would happen and Interstellar is our favorite in our house and there's this scene in Interstellar where the astronauts are trying to find an inhabitable planet and one has gone before them and the planet is near a black hole and apparently some of this is very loosely based in, uh, in scientists' understanding of black holes and the way that it might dilate time You'll get it. Um, but it's, it's all just kind of uh, like amped up for the dramatic effect. But there's this scene, and it is, it's powerful. It's, it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie, actually. So uh, there are three astronauts who they, they go to this planet, but they know because of the dilation of time, the time on that planet is going to be different than the time in the spaceship that they're uh, leaving and then coming back to. So as they're gone for four hours, they come back, and their friend is aged 20 years waiting on them. And it's this emotional, powerful scene. Again, this, this way that it engages your imagination just about the way we think about existence and, in this particular case, time. I, I think we're invited into the mystery 
of what God has actually given us, the time that we live in. All of it is, all of our experience in reality, in the reality of what he has created, the heavens and the earth, the whole of the cosmos, draws us into to worship him, to stand in awe and wonder, because he has, Romans 1, he has revealed himself to us. So that we might worship him. And Romans 1 does talk about the fact that our temptation is to worship the creation and not the creator. But here we're invited to think about and reflect on who the creator is, the maker of all things. That we would join with the heavenly host in Revelation 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed. And were created. By your will, existence happened. That's this invitation to, to recognize who this God is and to worship Him, to stand in awe of His power and majesty that He has revealed to us in His creation. So that as we see it and experience it, as Romans 1 tells us, that we would understand more of who God is and we would worship Him as a result. But it's not just an invitation to worship. It is certainly that. But it's also just an invitation to recognize reality because it's his story. It's an invitation into his story. God is the one who created. The word here is Elohim. He is the first subject of the story. And he's actually the first subject and and the, the only subject except for once in the middle of creation, which he uh, he directs vegetation to, I'm sorry, he, he directs the earth to bring forth vegetation. But he's the only subject for the rest of chapter one. He's clearly the first subject. He's at the center of it, this Elohim God making the world. I, I think we, we get a picture of the vastness of who God is. It, Elohim is actually, you, you may know this, it's a, a, a plural Hebrew word here. But God is clearly depicted in Genesis 1 and the rest is a monotheistic God of one God. The verb, bara, to create the Hebrew word there, it's a singular verb. Maybe we're getting a hint at his vastness. Maybe we're getting a hint of, uh, of the Trinity, which we know more from the New Testament. We see the Spirit and even the Word coming in verse 3, the Spirit here in verse 2. Uh, but it's, it's, it is a picture of the bigness and vastness of God, Elohim is creating the world. He's the one taking the action. And the fact that it's Elohim, which is a more generic word for God than Yahweh is, I think is significant for another reason. Uh, Yahweh is the Lord. If you, uh, in many Bible translations, if you find the Lord in all caps, the O-R-D in small caps, it's Yahweh. That is the translation. And Yahweh is... This word, this personal name for God. I will be your God. You will be my people. This relational God. And we remember that this, these words that we're reading here were originally given to the Israelites as they had been freed from slavery and exodus and they were headed to the promised land. And that's when Moses writes the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, given to Israel. And Israel was invited into relationship with the creator. And so there is this question of, well, why, why is Yahweh not used here? 
They're already in the experience of relationship with him. That's the context. But here we're reminded that he's not just the God of Israel. He didn't just create Israel. He didn't, doesn't just exist for, for them. He's the creator of all of it. So the fact that Elohim is used is the picture that every single bit of all of heaven and earth was created by him. And yes, he wants personal relationship with his people, but all of it is under his reign and rule. All of it was created by him, and he cares about all of it. Again, we saw this last week, is he restores all of it. But we find here that he is the one who has revealed himself by telling us about him creating existence. And as a result... It's a reminder that it's his story. And we're invited into his story and his reality and his existence. We we chafe at that idea, and yet that's what we're invited into. I I can't help but think of, you think about these things, the Truman Show, fairly well-known movie. Uh, And if you're not familiar, Truman is the, the main character, and he is in a world that all exists to be a TV show about him, starting actually with his birth. And so everybody in it, in this town, uh, that is surrounded by a dome that makes it look like a real sky, uh, and it's all, they're all actors and they're all there uh, to create this story that's being broadcast to the whole world about Truman. And of course, as Truman begins to learn this reality, he doesn't want to just be a character in Christoph's story, that's the director, right? He, he wants to create his own story. And we would all react the same way. We don't want to be in Christoph, this uh, megalomaniac director's story who's making tons of money with this show, right? We can resonate with that. But we also actually don't want to be in the real creator's story either. We want our own story. And what we're invited into here is to be in relationship with a God who's saying, no, no, no. And, and on some level, we just play bit parts and extras. And just hearing, hearing that idea, we kind of chafe at that. No, no, it's my story. I get to make who I am. And that's the story that we hear around us all the time, right? Particularly in our individualistic culture. Find yourself. I have to go find myself. I'm going to create my own story. I'm going to be my own person. And... and and yes, I don't want to say that we, uh, we're, we're just, our lives are determined by those around us. They are shaped by those around us, for sure. I, I'm not suggesting that uh, we don't make decisions for ourselves. But we are invited here to see our story really as a part of his. It's his existence that we're invited into. And it's actually a privilege to be a part of it because he is, as, as we'll see in, in a moment here, uh, a loving, caring, relational God. But we first are invited to humble ourselves as those extras in his story. To humble ourselves to be able to even sit with that idea that we might be uh, just a part of his story and not the main character. Because the beauty is that it's not just an invitation into a story. To be invited into a story is to be invited into a relationship with him. This is the beauty of this God who created the world. His story, by very definition, is relational. We see that with Romans 1 as he has revealed himself 
in order that we might be a part of it, in order that we might uh, worship him. I mean, his very revelation of himself is for our good and, and our benefit. He is connecting to us. The fact that these words exist, that Genesis was written for the people to read, to, that they might know the truth, was God revealing himself and, and reaching out to them. And it's a blessing to us. He doesn't remain silent. He reveals himself in a relational, and that, that is by its very nature relational. Michael Kendrick uh, says this about God revealing himself, not wanting to remain silent, would be the other option he, would, he could have taken. If God had wanted to remain silent about his existence, he wouldn't have bothered creating the stars. He wouldn't have made the Milky Way or the Betelgeuse. I don't know if I pronounced that right. as the best I could do. It's a big star. I did look that one up. In fact, he wouldn't have made the majestic Rocky Mountains, the rippling oceans, or the magnificent hummingbird. If his goal was to remain quiet and anonymous, he wouldn't have created anything at all. Instead, he spoke into existence a smorgasbord for our senses, wonder for our eyes, beauty for our ears, fragrances for our noses, and rapture for our hearts. His creation screams about his unseen beauty. It shouts of his unseen qualities and his magnificence. He has revealed himself, and it is for our benefit for our experience of what is good and right about the way that he created the world. He invites us into that. But again, remember, the original audience here was the people of God. This was written to communicate something to the people of God, the people that he invited into relationship. And he's just saying, this is who I am who has invited you into this. Many of us are, know well what the Harrison Center is. Uh, it's not just the Harrison Center for the Arts anymore, but uh, there are 24 artist studios. They share a building with Redeemer up at 16th and Delaware. And every month they have a, a, a First Friday. And there's a featured artist. Um, and in conjunction with that featured artist, they have what they call Art Dish. An Art Dish is this, they bring in a, a great chef from the city. And then he fixes a great meal. And the artist who is highlighted there in the main gallery hosts, essentially, Harrison Center hosted, artist is there, uh, a meal with some uh, of the, the folks who support them or friends with the artist. And uh, they have this table that comes down from the ceiling and they set a magnificent table and you get to sit with the artist and hear what the artist has to say about what they've created. And it's a, a, a really, we've gotten to do it once with uh, Quincy Owens. And, and hear about the pieces of art that were in the room and uh, what the inspiration was and, and how he went about doing it. Uh, imagine, this is just kick it up a notch, right? It, it, to, be, to be clear, it was great and awesome. But imagine that you could pick any artist. You could be a musician, you could be a craftsman, you could be an architect. Uh, imagine you could pick anybody. Imagine you could pick anybody in all of history and you could sit with them. You could Bach or Beethoven or Mozart or... Uh, you know, you pick um, Joe Dirt or Gart, if you're a bass player. Um, and you could just pick that artist and you could sit and have a meal with them, right? Uh, it'd be awe-inspiring to be able to sit with your favorite artist, creator that you can imagine. And what we're invited to here is relationship with the one who created existence. All of it. And there is clearly this 
invitation to relationship with him, to experience his love. Because the creation story is relational. It is connectional. Psalm 139 is the psalm that has this same line repeated again and again and again, every other line. The steadfast love, for his steadfast love endures forever. And and it tells this story throughout. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And then it tells the creation story. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love Love endures forever. It tells the story of his creation and very clearly connects it to the fact that his steadfast love endures forever. The creation story is his love story. The creation story is, as a result then, a salvation story. And we don't experience salvation without that reality. Acts 14 the proclamation of the gospel again and again as the church begins to grow. Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra and they, they have been a part of healing someone and they, the, the crowd starts to worship them. But they say, no, 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 men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We're the creation, not the creator. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The creation was there for your good, and it's proclaiming his goodness. Creation is a part of his story. We, we know that the very salvation story Jesus and his work, the incarnation is him entering into his material creation, becoming a part of it and experiencing it to a very, to very negative effects. He experiences death in his body. His physical body is a part of this creation. Incarnation and atonement are parts of his creation story. And then even here in Genesis 1, we find that the story is about Jesus and he makes it clear that that's the case. We remember Moses was understood to be the writer of the Pentateuch. He, he wrote this story, this, this creation story that's referenced in the Old and the New Testament. And so when Jesus refers to what Moses wrote, he's talking about this and all of the Pentateuch. And in John chapter 5, we see Jesus talking to the religious leaders. And he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote of him that this is reference to him. He does the same thing in Luke 24, verse 27, on the road to Emmaus, arguably uh, the best small group Bible study ever. Jesus is with a couple of disciples and he opens up scripture and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He is here. That is then highlighted in Colossians chapter one, where we see that Jesus is the one 
by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. So he is in creation inviting us into relationship with the one who deserves worship and wonder, who deserves the humility to recognize that we're a part of his story and to know that that is for our good because it is his love for us. God's creation of all things, of the whole cosmos, of the heavens and the earth is a love story for you and for me that we might be able to partake in these glorious things that we can only begin to grasp using our imagination and our experience interacting with his revelation of himself. I pray that we will stand in all of him and then stand in all of the fact that we get to participate with him in relationship. Let me pray.